Hello and welcome to your favorite, most deceptively named bi-weekly legacy podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our two latest Patreons, Jordan K. and Klausi Klinger. Callum, hey, how's it going, man? How, how has your week been? How's Britain? Britain has been better. I'm, I'm, I'm not bad, really. Uh, we've had a... I'm going to pretty preach to the choir. We're going through a pretty bad COVID stretch, um, but vaccines are rolling out, so hopefully it's towards the end of it soon. Uh, someone I live with got COVID, uh, tested positive for it last week, so I've been working, like going to work throughout the whole thing because I can't work from home very much, but this is my first week locked up properly. Like I've not left the house since last Thursday, so... Um, I don't know everyone's a veteran of staying at home, and this is my first week, and I'm 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 about to crack. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> ah! um, but it's cool. Uh, there's there's things to do at home, as um, we've said a couple of times on the podcast. It's we're incredibly lucky to have like such a great online uh, community. There's always people to talk to, always things to do and stuff when you play these kind of games. So it's been getting me through it. So thank you everyone for chatting. So you're saying you just finished basic training of, of working from home? Um, yeah. So, uh, do you still get dressed before you start working or how, how does it work for you? Today I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning, okay. I'm learning. Like I'm learning what people have done for the last nine months or something, which, I, yeah, I guess they struggled at the beginning as well. But um, yeah, I lived in some like comfy tracksuits for the first three days. And then today I got up thinking I, I can't, live in the same thing for three days straight so are you yeah. rocking like the 90s uh, adidas tracksuit like the really no, colorful one they're just like matt has one of those those look ridiculous super really light amazing. kind of feels like you're wearing nothing it's lovely but i i hope you're you're feeling well and uh, the, the the person you live with like uh, i hope it's not hitting them too hard no they're okay um had symptoms and currently do but um not too bad there's no um, underlying health conditions so it'll all be fine I it'll be negative, fine that's so. great too yeah yeah it's just one of those things apparently in the uk currently one in ten people have had it or have it so it's uh i heard it in like certain areas of london it's even worse it's yeah i hope yeah. i really hope it gets better like in germany like every other time this brought, gets brought up everybody's like yeah but we don't want to end up like britain because apparently like <laughs> yeah. anyway let's not get too deep into but that no, no. i guess everybody yeah. has heard so much about covid and stuff Absolutely, um, yeah. <laughs> and in speaking of that that's actually the reason why matt isn't here matt is busy stabbing people as, as he calls it because he he's gonna work um in the, in the medical field he yeah. likes to stab people in the face as a dentist but this time i also gotta, gotta um, stab people in the arm for for the vaccine so this is this is what's going on on that end um on my I, was about, end, I was about to say um don't mention the dentist part just talk about stepping people in the face and see what happens but yeah Maybe the the usual listeners will know that he's a he's a dentist <laughs> i mean matt might take some interest in the way people people perceive him and i i don't want to just like announce him as it's the true, face stepping true. killer <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really know whether the military has actually any use for for that kind of skills or can, can <laughs> i can i edit this way. episode just you want to edit this episode be my yeah, guest <laughs> i might cut something out we'll see anyway <laughs> what have you been up to recently up yeah up is a good spurt because i've been up all night a couple of um days uh, in the last week it, 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 like my insomnia was like really bad and i guess part of that is because i was like working on a ton of stuff but i was like playing with brood wall and also just like really fucking up my sleep schedule but i, I actually started to do oh my god i feel so old i started to go on walks in the evening like i straight up just go outside and i walk around in my tiny little suburb for like half an hour or an hour and i i run across the same people like three times in a row and that has actually helped quite a bit there's other people walking at night 
like you. Yeah, but actually not too many. I I, I might already know the entire um, walking community of, of my suburb. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And it's kind of weird. I guess they greet me every time, but I have like my, my high-tech Bluetooth headsets on, uh, in my ears and they can't see that. So I'm, I'm listening to like awesome podcasts and that that's what's going on. But I actually I don't really care about it. But <laughs> what I do care about is that my favorite Lego sets are sold out. The Treehouse and the Razor Crest from Mandalorian. Like you not could, the Treehouse. Like, oh my God. You know the Treehouse? It's you my know favorite. The, I have two of actually. You, you, yeah, you're right. Nobody has two tree houses. Okay, uh, what, 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 what's the alternative color on the tree house? Brown. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I hope that they're going to be coming back. <laughs> um, for, but yeah, some somebody whom I'd love to have back on a future episode, even though he's he's the, our first time guest here uh, on Everyday Eternal, is my good friend from Japan slash Germany, Kai Savatari. Kai has been around the legacy community for pretty much uh, over a decade now, I think, at this point. And he, he's made a name for himself as a very famous A&T player. He's had like a couple of really good GP finishes, got a top four GP Kyoto, got 17th place at Lille. He he got a star of Moxon top eight, and he also got second place in the so-called God of Legacy Tokyo tournament, which we are going to hear a little bit about later. But first of all, Kai, how's it going? How how's the morning? We we were just like in pregame talking about breakfast in Japan. Which kind of breakfast did you have today? Hey, good morning, Julian, Callum, and everyday uh, everyday eternal. Uh, it's Kai. I just finished my breakfast. I had some rice and miso soup and some some boiled eggs. Uh, I skipped on the fish for now, but. Yeah, that's what I've been up to. <laughs> good to be here. Good to be here. Do do people eat sushi for breakfast? Oh hell no, 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 no. That that's like eating steaks for breakfast. No, no, no. You don't you, you don't do that. <laughs> Wait, you don't eat steak for breakfast? Uh, I mean, I I don't. <laughs> Maybe you do. <laughs> uh. Maybe Kobe beef or something. I hear that's like really, really expensive and really tasty. But yeah, it, it's so cool to have you on. Um, uh, when I told people that you were going to be on, uh, a lot of people got really excited because everybody who's ever met you or been like in your presence any kind of way, you emit an energy and enthusiasm for legacy and magic in general that's almost unparalleled. Like we've been to a couple of tournaments and every time we, we've been there, I felt like, dude, this is like the best ambassador for the format we could have. So... I've been trying to get you to stream. Maybe one day, you know, we, we can get you into the Twitch community because that would be really amazing. But today, what we really want to learn from you is what is legacy like in the faraway country of Japan? We spared no expenses. We established a cyber connection to you directly to Tokyo. And we will make use of this connection to talk to you over the internet and learn more about Japan. So Kai, how, how did you end up in Japan? I know that you grew up in Germany. I think you were actually born in Japan, right? But then you moved over here and now you've been back in Japan for something like six years? Yeah, so I've been kind of all over the place. Um, but I, I was born in Japan. Um, and when I turned five, my whole my family, we decided to move to Germany. Um, that's also where I started to play Magic when I was 10 years old. I got some crappy comments and uncomments from the older students like bark imp that was my very very first magic card from the dark i still have it in my uh, in my binder it's that exact incredible it, it's it's incredible it's heavily played it's it's damaged actually but i i still got it it's um it was you know the card was so terrifying the artwork was so gross and, and all that that i was really you know all about it you know <laughs> it, was, it was dark yeah, yeah. and evil that that's what i'm all about so um that, that, that's totally what drew me into the game as well i had like a 100 card mono black deck with hand of deaths and nightmares and stuff 
Love oh, it. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that yeah, that we was all, my jam. Uh, man, skulls are evil and, you know, oh, yeah. pe- people are evil in, in visits. And... The more <laughs> skulls, the better. <laughs> and it hasn't really it hasn't really changed because um as you said like my my favorite deck of all time is probably ad nauseum tendrils followed by doomsday and they all got a lot of skulls on them so it hasn't really changed yet <laughs> so many skulls <laughs> yeah um but so i started playing magic in germany um also went to the most gps when i was when i was around the the europe area um, grinding a lot of GPs in like France and Italy and, and Czech Republic and so on. And uh, six years ago, I made a big decision in my life to um, to come back to come back to Japan, um, just because I wanted to kind of explore what it's what yeah what it's like to to live in a country this far away from from Germany. Because even though I was born here, I and I can speak the language, I'm not a hundred percent on the same level with all the other Japanese in terms of like how they think, how they talk, how they discuss, how they play magic, how they like literally everything, right? So Have you picked it, up on like Japanese slang? Because you, you basically you, you learned it from your parents and I guess at five years did you go to kindergarten? And there's not too much like actual badass slang going around in kindergarten, at least in Germany. Oh you don't know how much you can talk when you're five year old kid. It's insane. <laughs> like, oh, you talk about, yeah, about all nonsense. It's obviously like a mix of Japanese and then Gugu Bibi Gaga Japanese, but it's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's one or two years before you go to elementary school, right? So I mean, you are hopefully like you know fluent in your native language. Ideally, yeah. But the, the, that's actually really interesting. So the, do, how much do you actually remember from, from back in Japan and kindergarten? Is that, is that like a huge part of your past or, or do you mostly associate home with Germany? Yeah, so uh, Julian, don't don't tell anyone. I know it's a podcast, but don't tell anyone that my Japanese is basically <laughs> the Japanese of a five-year-old plus a little bit of, ex- <laughs> a bit of, plus a little bit of extra steps. <laughs> it sounds good enough to me. Yeah. So, no, um, yeah, but gone. for... Um, that's a good example so i can't read the news in japanese i have i have to read the news in japanese in german for example or in english it doesn't matter um Uh. but yeah but the kanjis like those um those yeah kanjis are really really um important obviously and you need to memorize like about at least 2000 ish to to properly read you know like science newspapers and my level um, of kanji is definitely below that um, not far below, but you know. Um, and but you can read magic cards, right? I I can I can yeah. Oh man, I I kind of I kind of want to skip here to um to the first week when I got here six years ago. Go ahead. Because um so I started to work at this company called Tokyo MTG. Um, they're the the third biggest magic store in Tokyo and um, the biggest community for mostly for forum people and for people who like EDH and chill games. You know, like not not a lot of competitive play, but you know, like a lot of hangouts. Um, that's where I worked for six years, and it's been a, a super awesome store. Anyway, I, I was there the first week, and I didn't understand a single thing they said because all these keywords <laughs> in Japanese were like ridiculous to remember. Um, you had you had a few simple ones, like for example, flying is oh no 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 wait, uh, trample is trampuru. So it, it oh, you come know, on, it, really? It, That's yeah, amazing. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> t- t- <laughs> it's trampere or first strike is fast to strike. Uh, seriously? Like, like, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Like, Dude, I, I love this. 
right? Like, yeah, like so, I think I can so, speak Japanese as well now. Let's let's do it. Let's get to Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> What's Stellenbock? Oh my God! What is that? That that's that's a landwalk. If your opponent wears anything made of denim, oh yeah, it, it can't <laughs> be blocked. Yeah, so so you take the word for um, for example, mountain. It's yama, like Fujiyama, for example, yama. Yeah, and then watari, w a t a r i. Watari means to to kind of like to go over. I mean, basically walk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that, that's really cool. So you, you arrive there, you're like, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm like a native Japanese, even though I'm like on a five-year level, but come on. Yeah. And, oh. and then you were look, looking around. Guys, can we just like speak English, please? <laughs> like it was, my third language. It was, it was so embarrassing because um, before I came here, I, I um, became a level one judge. And in the first couple of days, you know, they, um, Tokyo MG, they didn't really know where to put me. And I was like, you know, I, I can do anything, you know, and uh, say, OK, well, why don't you judge for one day? And that was a Friday Night Magic. And I think that was the worst day of my life by a far because I didn't understand a thing. And I got <laughs> questions from from Japanese players. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, maybe you're going to figure it out yourselves or like, I, yeah, I couldn't even answer. So it was pretty bad. <laughs> I, I, like, I imagine this like when you arrive in a position that you're not really qualified for. And then when like the first decision you have to make when your your underlings, quote unquote, come to you, you're like, hmm. What would you suggest? Uh, people are like, <laughs> my, yeah, I get to draw the extra card. And the opponent says, no, I get to draw the extra card. You're like, mm, the first guy seems more credible. You draw the extra card. Like, what? <laughs> or just be like, this? both you draw. It's fine. Kind of was the best judge. Oh, actually, you know what that reminds me of? I, I think like many years ago, we actually did commentary on something or we were on a podcast together. I really don't remember. But I remember that I asked you how to actually properly pronounce Umezawa's chitta. And you actually told me like live on the thing that you don't know and you need to ask your boss at Tokyo MTG, who I think actually was a German back then. Oh, I guess he still is. <laughs> and... Yeah, I mean, he hasn't changed. <laughs> I mean, he's still German. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a umizawa no jitte. It's jitte. It's, it's also how, no it's... Uh in the end? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's. It's not GTA or or some some, oh, some witch. Or oh no 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 oh no, no. <laughs> yeah. that's really bad. That's I, I, I've I've played against a lot of people that say here's a jit. And it's like it just feels so wrong. So I'm glad to hear that it's definitely wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like especially when, when when they name it on Cabal Therapy, for example. It's not, oh, that card is not in my hand. You know, <laughs> you, know you you got to try should... better than that. <laughs> You once told me a story like your opponent named a card on cable therapy and and you didn't know what, which card he named. So what, what oh, did you actually do then? Oh, that was a crazy <laughs> dude. This was a crazy story from um from the GP Kyoto. Yeah, where I top eight it. It was in day two, and um there was a there was back in the day when Dick Through Time was legal. There was a lot of Grixis Delver. There was a lot of Omnitel and Miracles. I was playing at Dawson Tenderworlds, and I got paired against this guy who played um Grixis Delver, right? And he um. He, you know, he doesn't even probe me. He just goes for the blind cobalt therapy and I go, okay, well, go ahead. And then he says something in Japanese and I I assumed that that was the card name. And I, you know, I just put my hand on the table and I watch him and he doesn't say or do anything. I was like, okay, well, probably he, he might have missed. And I pick them all up. And then he said, oh, no, no, I actually double hit. It was your Infernal Tutor. You have two copies in your hands. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> oh, like, dude, wait. Maybe he really got you. Maybe just like he said, like LED or, or so. You're like, <laughs> he, like he called you bluff. He's like, this guy doesn't understand a single word of Japanese. Actually, I'm just gonna. <laughs> or is this is this 
is this where we call a judge and the, uh, call a judge and the judge is like, okay, you discard your infernal tutors, and then he discards his infernal tutors too, in in the fair way we were talking just now. Everyone <laughs> oh, yeah, discards yeah, everything, yeah. and we both throw a card. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, we exactly. like that. Okay. <laughs> Callum, you sure you, like the COVID hasn't started yet? <laughs> I don't know what like you're talking fe- about. The fever dream touching. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely not going crazy, I promise. Oh, awesome, awesome. Oh do, do you want to play some D&T? Uh, I, uh, I hear that actually just won the showcase challenge. Uh, uh, so this is my cry for help. Deck. No, no, Callum. <laughs> <laughs> That's the code, the safe word. Okay, I get it, I get it. But Kai, you went to Japan and you, I think the last time we talked before you went to Japan was at Owino Geron in Milan and you told me you wanted to make this change because you, you had to figure out what you want to do with your life. And, and tell me about it. It's like when you arrived in the, in the Japanese scene, you, you said you didn't really understand much. You, you didn't really like know the culture, I guess, of, of how it goes. Because whenever I see like Japanese streams, it always feels like everybody's playing a little bit differently. It always feels like there's less smack talking even though i don't really understand it but like people they don't have this thing where where, where they try are trying to put on a show or, or intimidate their opponent is is that really how how magic is played in, in japan or is, is that more like the stereotype of the polite japanese that that's not actually like fully true um well generally um players in japan are very very polite almost too polite to be completely honest because if you're too polite then it's also kind of hard to make new friends if that makes any sense right because if you talk too polite to your opponent then you almost create some some kind of like a like a barrier between you and your opponent and uh, be like hey you know this was a nice game but uh let's don't get closer any any further or <laughs> that, that, that's as if like in german you, you used c in, in a tournament like you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that would be so <laughs> weird <laughs> And all, or like all the English speakers are like, uh, well, we only a few. We, we always make friends at every tournament. <laughs> right. Um, but it's also very, very chill. You have z- um, almost zero shit talk or trash talk in general. Like people, I don't, I don't know, like whining about the tournament it, or about the format or about decks, about opponents. It really doesn't happen here. So all the GPs and, and major to- um, tournaments I've been to in Japan were like so relaxed and chill even after like the seventh or eighth round i was like oh wow it, it feels like it just started so oh, that sounds like a uh, dream oh yeah like, complaining about luck and stuff is one of my least favorite parts of the game or any games it's so hard to answer right like, like yeah. what do you even tell that person do yeah, you like, say oh, you say like yeah it well, happens you know you know what i tell people when they do that i like i at this point i'm just numb i just tell them yeah you should have just played better even if i was playing <laughs> belgian i killed them on the first turn and they're like on elf so like they had no no way to stop me and they tell me oh you got so lucky i just tell them oh no you should have just played better like their comment is so stupid so i'm gonna try to one-up their stupidity by oh adding even more to it and i think that's the only way to deal with that <laughs> and it's actually the only thing i consider hilarious uh, but yeah um that's <laughs> that's my way to deal with that so in our play group in london we made up a thing where if um you want to complain about a match or anything you have to give a cookie to the person you're telling it to and so people just didn't have cookies with them at these tournaments so they couldn't tell their bad beats and it kind of spread around and it kind of it kind of cured it for a bit and so, so you, you actually you try to stay away from the people who are carrying cookies because you know they're gonna <laughs> <Yeah>. be salty <laughs> it's, it's like a big red flag don't come near me <laughs> that's actually quite interesting yeah. um but but kai what else are you doing in japan so you moved over there you told us you you started working for tokyo mtg i think you actually you brought a lot of tokyo mtg merchandise to the european tournaments i think there was one gp in Lille where half of our like group of friends was wearing the tokyo mtg shirts that, that was kind of cool uh is, is, is that your main job or what else are you doing right now i think you you also you got some sweet sidekicks going on right yeah 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 so um so tokyo mtg was um yeah, I worked there for 
six years. I stopped there half a year ago. Um, but I did loads of loads of stuff. Um, like doing like uh, content for the, for the store, doing the whole graphic design thing, so the homepage and um, like everything on social media and um, took care of um, all the Japanese and foreign employees there. It's probably the most international store um, by, yeah, by a big margin, really. Um, it was a lot of fun hosting events, doing um, bilingual pre-releases, all sorts of awesome events and um, artist events too. And, uh, yeah, but uh, um, obviously because of COVID, um, the store had to close last year. And I was like, hey, maybe I want to, you know, do the next step. And I'm currently looking for, yeah, like a, like a new step in my life. Uh, I, I don't know what's, what that's going to be, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Meanwhile, I'm also doing some side projects. The biggest one of them is my, finally, my own painting project. It's called Savatari Doodles. It's S-A. W-A-T-A-R-I and then doodles like D-O-O-D-L-E-S dot com. Um, I'm painting mostly in acrylics, um, also sometimes in oil, um, a lot of abstract art. And I've already had my uh, two big uh, exhibitions here in Tokyo, one in Shibuya and one in um, Shinjuku. And it's been it's been really great. I've also um, sold a few pieces, also to some magic players. Um, that's cool. Very cool. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to. Do you take commissions? Uh, I do, I do. I actually just got a commission from a good friend of mine who um, who's gonna marry, uh, was gonna get married next month. So he wants uh, he wants to get a some some sort of commission which is gonna be on the altar or yeah at the entrance area maybe. So and that's kind of cool. What, what, which kind of art is that gonna be like? To, to give us an idea, which would be the last set that Wizards would have even considered printing your art in, or, or is it like something contemporary that they would also print today? Um, so I, I really like to draw, um, with, um, like strong colors, like, like color um, expressions and faces, usually, um, with either like masks or some, some weird abstract shapes in it. Um, I think if my R was on a magic card, it'd probably be on, hmm, on one of the earlier sets, I want to say, just cause, um, <laughs> in, in earlier sets such as like dark or legends like so much weird art was allowed you know like you def- yeah you, you could paint anything and be on on the magic card um but who <clears> knows <throat> i mean, I mean <clears throat> who, mo- who knows yeah really I, I mean like people like seth mckinnon for example he like he made a, a name for, for himself he's a absolutely like fantastic artist and um some of those like a little like different quote unquote different artists they also um get very popular these days so who knows yeah <laughs> awesome I'd, I'd like to see like to see some art of yours you you said you had an exhibition in shibuya right shibuya is, is that like the isn't that the hip district with like the big crossing that everybody knows about like i i didn't know much about japan until i actually started like watching a lot of travel vlogs from, from japan and but i knew about shibuya and uh, have you made it as an artist if you get an exhibition there or is that just like me imagining things uh yeah shibuya is definitely the area with, um, with the big crossing um i think it's like a thought i'm on average i think a 1000 people crossing it um per minute or so um or some some ridiculous lumber like that and i got a little lucky by having a good friend of mine um who works in a, at a international um half tourist information half bar kind of kind of hybrid uh which is exactly where the crossing is and um 
and she asked me like she, she came over one day to my I mean, to my house and obviously like my, all my, my my whole apartment is covered by by, by paintings I, I don't have any walls left and, <laughs> and 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 she was like wow this is kind of cool can, can we maybe do like a, some sort of like a collaboration and I was like yeah I'm all about it you know you know let's uh, let's do so then the next month um, most of my stuff was there for almost two weeks I think yeah it was pretty sick. <laughs> That, that's really cool. So we're definitely going to have the link to your to your website in the show notes. Uh, but to to get back to magic, um, I wonder. We hear so many stories about Tokyo. You know, Tokyo. I think you you have like twenty four million people, like more than Canada or something in the Greater Tokyo area. There, that there's like a lot of stores. I think you've told me on many times that you can basically play Legacy on every single day of the week. Sometimes even like several times a week. How do I have to imagine that? Because I, like, I come from Munich. Munich is like 1.4 million, and we have exactly one store, and we had to back them forever to even just get Legacy FNM. And now you tell me what Tokyo is like, because I, I still can't like fully understand that. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the first, the first year at least, um, when when I came here, I was like, okay, like every day when when it was my free day, I was like, okay, I wake up. Do I have a plan? Yeah, maybe. No, if if I don't, then I I can at least go to a legacy tournament. You know, like so the legacy going to a legacy tournament was always Plan B if I don't have anything better to do. Which you know, I mean, the first year I, I was all about grinding anyway, so I I went to all these tournaments and um, you have you have too many of them. It's crazy to say, but um, but I think Tokyo has too many tournaments. It also has tons of players, but um, it's it's crazy how. In one city, sometimes they fire like three, four legacy tournaments at the very same time in different locations. And they all have between, I want to say like 20, 30 to up to 60 players each. It's massive. This, this is every day. It's um, So it's oh. a little more on the weekends, obviously. Okay. But, um, but but still on the weekdays, you, you have, because every day has their week um, daily tournaments, right? And mm-hmm. some stores they, they do more modern and standard or a draft. Some um, some stores do more legacy, um, but yeah, that's crazy. You... That is so much legacy. I'm so right. jealous. Um, I mean... I'm, I'm going to go book a flight now. I think uh, let's get over there. That's so cool. <laughs> like multi- uh, yeah, I'm, we were similar here in London, Julian. Like until I started doing some events with my friends, we just had nowhere to, like apart from like once a week with 15 20 people there just wasn't this kind of thing to, and so to hear that there's like 20 to 60 people on the weekends firing in multiple places that's just crazy i didn't realize it was such a high number that's so cool right and has it always been like that for our, our i mean legacy has been popular all around the world for, for quite a while now but uh it, it just blows my mind how, how you can maintain a scene like that. You you told me that there's, uh, I think, what are they called? Hararui? I can't even pronounce them. I'm, I'm not oh. even going to try. The, the one, the star, <laughs> that, that Saito star, right? Yeah. Um, I, th- I think Legacy especially got po- very popular um, post-2015 because that was also when, with GP Kyoto, the very first Legacy GP in Japan, right? Before they didn't have any GPs, um, Legacy GPs in Japan. But I think that GP really pushed the whole format like so so far um in terms of you know what what stores like to run now uh what, what people are all about like buying duels and you know playing i want to say the best format ever um you know prove me wrong so you're allowed to say that on this podcast <laughs> we, we are very legacy positive here <laughs> 
but yeah, how, how, how does it work? So do, do you have like, um, because you got to make up your mind, right? Which store do I go to when there's like several events happening at the same time? Do you just go to the nearest store or are there certain stores where you say, okay, here, here is where I go when I really want to grind hard for, against the best players in all of Tokyo or even Japan? Uh, or are there also more like, quote unquote, newbie stores? How, how, how does one decide where to go? And maybe in case, like, pr- probably like not a lot of our listeners are going right now, but if they are going in the near like say sometimes this or next year, like what are the, the most common stars to go to and what are their specialities? Yeah, um, so I think generally, um, Hallelujah, so Hallelujah um, is the biggest store by by far. Um, they got a tournament center. That's a store with um, three, I think 300 seats and they're usually all taken. It's it's a massive store. <laughs> and they have, a, they have a feature match area, like an, an actual stage. With like lights and and, and and all that, and um, they have like ten PCs in store where you can order cards from. They have a huge floor for, um, with uh, single cards being displayed, and I think five or ten buying counters. It's like it's it's massive. It's almost like being on a mini GP, but you can go there Did, every day. I, 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 sorry to interrupt you there, but you said they have like three hundred chairs for for like a store. This is not like. I don't know a convention center or something. This is this is a store in the city of Tokyo, and they just have this amount of, of space to to run tournaments. That's actually that, that just blows my mind. You you actually gotta post picture. Maybe I can find pictures online for that because I really can't imagine imagine what what that's like because that sounds amazing. Right, and and you go in there, and it's let's say it's a Saturday, and it's uh, it's noon. Um, they fire standard, modern, legacy, vintage, draft, everything. Vintage. At the, at the, yeah, also at the same time at twelve. All at the same time, and e- each tournament has at least 30 players, I want to say, e- even more. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, I keep interrupting you on that, because like you're giving me kind of information that really blows my mind. You're saying like it gets 30 people for Legacy, uh, for, for, for Vintage, because I know oh, yeah. on, in Europe, like on the card market service, uh, service <laughs> I mean there are services, <laughs> right, on the card market series, they also have a Vintage main event, and that event usually gets between 20 and 30 but that's like four times a year. And now you're t- telling me people can play 30-man vintage every weekend in, in Tokyo. I think a lot of Europeans are going to move to Japan as soon as it becomes available again. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, vintage is not every weekend. It's pro- maybe like every second or every other weekend, but uh, definitely more than once a month. And you, you, know, you, you can grind a lot of vintage. It's uh, it's crazy, really. I. I bought my uh, finally bought my Black Lotus uh, exactly one year ago, and I don't regret it at all. I I've been using my Black Lotus so much more than most of the other cards, really. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy, <laughs> but awesome. yeah. So but how does it work? Can can you actually borrow decks? Or because I know in Europe a lot of scenes are being kept alive by people who who have like seven different decks in every tournament. They they lend those out, or or is like everybody have their own deck and is borrowing a deck like not a thing in Japan. Oh, no, I like everyone. Everyone buys their cards. Yeah. Um. So you have actually like I don't know, like thirty people with uh, the full powered uh, power nine decks. <laughs> um. But I think um because um about your question um why there's so many players who are willing to pay so much money and um for for magic is that I think generally um people people are working hard in Japan, right? Like they they, they do overtime. Um, they really dedicate their lives to their jobs, so they work so hard that with the with the remaining time, they want to kind of squeeze everything out. So they basically dump all the money into 
the decks, for example, into new formats and um, just kind of go all in. Because I think the, the, the quote-unquote dirty culture is also way more accepted in Japan. Um, you know, you, you Wait, have... the, the dirty culture? And what by dirty? Oh, no, no. Uh, the nerdy. Nerdy. A yeah. nerdy. <laughs> oh, there's lots of dirty culture. <laughs> lots of st stuff get pixelated. Like, oh, you, you have like a white border card. Yeah, let's pixelate that. We, we can't show that on stream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, okay. You, 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 you actually, I think you actually told me that once that that in Japan, nerd being nerdy, quote unquote, uh, is much more acceptable in society. Whereas I know it's it's gotten a lot better in Germany at least, um, maybe also in Europe. But I certainly know, like in the nineties or like early two thousands, if you were a card gaming player, people were like, Ew, "You're awkward." Like you, you just got that stamp. And uh, I mean, it's gotten a lot better, but it's still like a little bit of a thing, I think. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um. I remember how I how I used to um, hide it on first dates in Germany, and then I had some first dates in Japan. I didn't even hide it. You know, I, I just said I said it straight up and said, like, "Yeah." And I play this uh, card game. You know, it's uh, it's kind of like I always say it's kind it's 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 between poker and chess, and that's where that's when people get really excited. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's that with extra steps. So <laughs> I, I use that same description too, actually, to people that don't know it, because it is pretty pretty accurate. Yeah, it's cool. So how does it work when you date somebody in Japan, but your your Japanese is just on a level of a five year old? That must be quite the the experience. Maybe they like the five year old. Uh, like not not oh, that sounds terrible. Let's cut that out. I was about to say the attitude. Let's edit this bit out. That sounds terrible to say they like the five year old. <laughs> Sorry, it's all right. I mean, I, I'm usually the guy sitting in the corner with yeah, like milk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, but so yeah, you, you're saying Haruya is, is basically the, the big store that everybody should check out, especially for the tournament center. Um, yeah. Uh, which other stores would you recommend? Um, I would guess and Tokyo MTG, yeah. but you said they're closed down. Is this like temporarily, or is that gonna be gone? Uh, I mean, it's it's all uh, it's been a it's a it's been an up and down. I think for um for quite a while now. Um, I think the store is open again, but again. There, there are no events there, but I think people go there for um, to free play. Yeah, Tokyo MTG is 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 the biggest international go to store for um for especially for casual play to appreciate magic art because um that store also has um a lot of lot of magic original art. Um, I just saw um, the the original art of Mystic Snake, for example, um, being displayed there, and many many others. It's kind of insane. And then you also have some other stores. Um, for example, it's uh, one is called Big Magic. I think it's the second um, biggest store. It's been there, I think, even longer than Haruya. Um, and then there are so many others, Julian. Like I, even in the Akihabara area, which is a little bit on um, in this uh, in the east, they have in this electric town city district. They got more than thirteen stores. And I'm I'm not I'm not lying here. You know they they actually got 13 stores. Not not um all stores have a player space. Some of them are like very small, and they have a couple of showcases maybe. But you know you can still get magic cards there, and uh, you, so you can spend a whole day only in Akihabara and grind through all these stores and see what they have. So see what they're up to. Um, it's insane. So if you come here, I will definitely take you there because that's an experience you will never get anywhere else. It's insane, really. That sounds amazing. Dude, that, that, that should actually be a challenge. R visit every magic store in Tokyo over the span of like a week or something and, and like do videos there. Actually, how, how does that work? Like, would people be accepting if, if you walk into a store and you wanted to film? Because I, I know in Germany, it's, it's like a really big no-go to film anywhere without permission. Um, I think it's the same rule and uh, no matter where you go, right? 
I think. I, I think, think. In, the, I mean, in I, the US, you can probably film anywhere as far as I know. Yeah, you know, maybe I should go in and tell them, hey, you know, if you do this, then you, your, pro your store gets probably like double the sales and promote it and stuff, and they probably can't reject. So. <laughs> There's this weird German guy coming in, and he's going to talk you up like nothing else. So you you better let, get, let him get in and give, give him some good deals. And speaking of good deals, uh, something that I'm also curious about, how does it work? Do people buy all their singles at shops? Or is it like in Europe where everybody just buys from online, uh, basically from card market, right? I, I would guess card market probably owns like 90% of the revenue in Europe. Yeah. Um, okay. So here, here's a big secret. Um, so there is no such thing as magic card market in Japan. And that's the reason why all the, sto all the stores are, are there, you know? Like, so everyone goes to a magic store and, and, and buys packs, singles, everything in a store and that's like otherwise these stores couldn't survive i think if there was a magic card market platform where everyone can just upload their cards and buy um buy other cards from other people then why would you need stores right except for a player space and maybe this is also one of the key successes of um magic in japan and like my personal opinion is that um, i think it's totally it's totally fine like i i'm happier if i pay a little more um, to get my cards in a store, but I also have all these stores around which run all, all these events, you know, rather than vice versa. Makes total sense. I actually just never thought of it like that, and my head is just, like, popping. It's like, oh, my God, it makes so much sense. Like, I would snap do that in a second. Like, I would pay more and not use Magic Card Market if we had all these stores as well. I, I just never considered it like that, so... Yeah, very jealous of what you have, actually. Yeah, this is this is really interesting because now that you put it like that, I remember that in Germany, the support for especially Legacy started going down once Card Market became big to the point where probably one of the best stars in all of Germany, Funtainment in Nuremberg, the, the owner ended up closing the shop after like a couple of years because he, he said he, he doesn't really want to trade on Card Market. But then after a while, he started doing it. And he told me he made so much money on card market that he needed to rent a second apartment just to, to like basically he rented the apartment above his store just to store the cards and then he started storing the cards at his parents place and that was full as well and eventually he decided okay i'm gonna give up my lgs and i'm gonna use the entire space just for trading and for like keeping my cards around i don't even need to run the lgs anymore i'm just gonna do card market trading and i mean that's that's the perfect example of, of basically support breaking down because of well, online shops i mean i'm not blaming card market here it's, it's also like basically players do what they wanna do in, in the short run with probably out really considering the consequences in the long run and i certainly did that as well but now that you put it like that uh yeah that's i guess hashtag support your local dealer right that's how it oh, works definitely definitely yeah i mean you know if, if they get because play, like player spaces are never they never get charged right like you you can always go there you, you can use their space to, to play magic have a good time and if if they provide such a good service then why wouldn't you want to buy some cards from them like i think it's a win-win situation so oh that's great i wish we could in some way or form get this back i don't know yeah that's probably like a story for a different podcast but if you are in a situation where you still have like a local thriving scene definitely make sure to to support that once it becomes a thing again right i guess right now it's it's pretty hard to support your rts um but i guess there's other stuff to order but yeah i I want to move to Japan, Kai. I, I, I can't help you. Which part <laughs> of the city should I move in? Where, where will I feel at home? So um, I've, um, I've lived in a, a few couple of uh, districts in, in Tokyo, and I got to say they're all definitely not the same. Um, 
you you definitely want to avoid those um, big traffic um, areas with like loads of skyscrapers and just you know loads of people because you have you have that um, in the city center. I live a little bit a little outside. Um, that being said, it's only 15 minutes to the city center, so I, I guess it's not too <laughs> far outside. But it's it's the um, hipster area where if a lot of like musicians, artists, um, not a lot of high buildings. It's very chill, calm. Um, you get all your needs. Um, I have a local fish market here, just you know, like 30 seconds. Oh, because I also live only 30 seconds from the station. Um, and you have a ridiculously good public transport system. I've once seen the the yeah. metro map of Tokyo, and yeah. holy shit, that that looks like a puzzle one has to solve. But I, I guess there's like, I don't know, apps or something that tell you where to change. Uh, it was just a little bit too much for me. Coming from Munich, where we have like seven or eight different metros, and and that's it. And you guys yeah. have like everything. Yeah, Julian. What if I tell you that I almost never looked up um, the the time when the next train's gonna gonna arrive. I, I just, just go the there. Station. I just go to the station, and you know they um gonna wait a couple of seconds. It's, it's gonna be there. <laughs> yeah, I, I just know it from from when I was in Beijing. I was already already like super fascinated with the Beijing subway system because that was also so convenient. Um, we just have so much to make up for with, with regards to that in Europe. Um, but yeah, that, that that that's something that. I don't know, like, the, the, the way we keep talking about this, Tokyo sounds like the perfect place to be. So actually, t tell me something about the dark side of Tokyo. Tell me something about the dark side of magic in, in Japan. And I mean by the dark side, I don't mean, like, really bad stuff. But if you have that, give it to us. But, but is, um, is there anything that you miss playing in Japan as opposed to Europe? So um, I guess it's it's more like a luxury problem. But um, I remember... I So I was I was really looking forward to those events uh, when I, when I lived in Berlin, you know, um, he's talking about magic events, like, um, for example, being like, yeah, so this Sunday, there's this, this big tournament, uh, in this other city, like Hanover or, you know, like, like s somewhere where we have to drive at least one hour. And, um, we, we got there with some friends and we, we talked about, uh, decks and stuff in the car. And obviously there was a lot of trash talk also, but, uh, it was a lot of like, you know, like getting pumped, getting prepared for a tournament. And here in Japan, um, you have because you have too many tournaments and you can also access them so easily like I to Hideruya the tournament center it literally takes me like 25 minutes I've I've been less, less excited about paper tournaments if that makes any sense because it doesn't matter if you do well or not you just go there the next day and you know you can do better uh, which is obviously good for um, for training purposes but um, you don't have these um, wow you know I've been waiting for this tournament for over a decade now or like over a month probably and um, yeah, I kind of want to show, I want to do my best now and, you know, like put all my efforts from the last couple of weeks into this one event. Like it, this feeling doesn't exist here because you have, yeah, you have tournaments every day. If that, if, if that is even a problem, I don't even know if that's a problem, but um, it, you don't get no, very It's hyped. like you say, it's, it's a luxury problem, but there is a middle ground to try and like aim for between yeah, when you have when you have too much of a good thing, which sounds like you're not having too much right now. Like it sounds amazing to be there, but um, you do want this excitement with friends, especially to be going somewhere. So maybe if you had the option of bigger events at some point, and uh, you would travel there with friends, that would uh, bring that kind of similar fire back. Right. Right. And I, th I think um, that's also why you sometimes see a lot of art cards in uh, in Japanese deck lists. 
sometimes. I, th I think you, you guys have seen some of those like ridiculous, ridiculous card drop. choices. That's the one that I will never forget. <laughs> it's I... like nine mana or something. Target player sacrifices two creatures and it's a staff. Ten mana. Come on, Jimmy. <laughs> you got go, you oh know your legacy God. staples. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've made Jarvis play this a few times in Delver and he's shouted at me every single time afterwards. <laughs> it's, it's a favorite. You seem to have a lot of influence over Jarvis. Uh, he listens to me for some God knows what, why, but <laughs> <laughs> he actually recently yeah, joined our Discord. Hello, shout out to Charles. Hey man, how's it going? <laughs> oh, yeah. you, Kai, you're like popping my brain for a second time because I have been I've been always fascinated by Japanese lists, and I do try and look them up whenever I can because there is always some really cool technology in them, and there's a lot to be learned. I've always thought that as good as European and American players are, we are less willing to try new stuff out. But now hearing about how many events you have. I would absolutely be doing this like um at my local store i know it's not a great comparison because we'd have it once a week but i would play really wild decks but it's never it's never published it's never posted about so um yeah we're seeing the wild side because they do get published and because people have this opportunity to play so often when people don't have the opportunity so often they don't want to waste their time energy or money like playing something off the wall but if you're able to play at least once a week if not more it makes a lot of sense to be dead dropping people so i love it <laughs> is that is that a term already like dead dropping people <laughs> oh yeah i think whenever someone plays like a really weird card and destroys someone with it i like, like calling it dead dropping yeah. now like imagine yeah you finish your round yeah you know i got dead dropped so again <laughs> <laughs> oh well i played against uh, nick fit and they dead dropped me and then snap cast dead drop you know these oh things my God. happen Oh, snap, cast a dread drop. Oh, I'm dying. <laughs> you, you don't have like half your deck away at this point. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Dude, it, it almost feels like this This is, it's the best of both worlds with regards to the, the amount of tournaments that you get on Magic Online, but also the personal interaction that you get in paper tournaments. And that, that's what's, what's really fascinating to me about the Japanese scene. How, how does one get along like speaking English? If I come over and I want to play and say I don't know anyone Japanese to help me out, can, can I just like walk up to a store and, and be like a stupid English speaker like nothing else? Well, Actually, I didn't want to make fun of English speakers. <laughs> I just <laughs> I wanted to make fun of me, but I'm not even a native English speaker. Anyway, you get the idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I think you would be on the same level as uh, as I was uh, six years ago. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I was I was fluent in Japanese, but didn't understand a thing on on yeah, like magic related, really. Um, but uh, no, I, you should be fine. You should be fine. I already had um, a couple of. Um, European magic friends who came over, um, like big names as uh, Claudio Bonani, for example, like he, he won a GP once in Lille, I think, in 2015. He came over with his um, friend Stefano um, three years ago, and I took them to the tournament center. We also had nice meals and, and, and loads of drinks afterwards, and it was it was really, really cool. And Claudio said that, you know, the general conversation was fine. Um, I mean, it's still magic after all, right? Like, same rules. And everyone who has been to an... Um, to an international GP knows or knows that it's it's possible, you know. I mean, you, you, maybe you have to call the judge sometimes if if someone has indeed a, Japan, a, a, Jap a Japanese <laughs> dead drop and you don't know what the card does, then you can yeah you can call the judge. But you know that's. I mean, if a legacy player doesn't know what dead drop does, are they really playing legacy? Uh, are they listening to this podcast in the first place? True, <laughs> so my exactly. suggestion would be. If if they play cable therapy, you just hand them pen and paper and ask them to draw the card. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you That's know, um, one story before I forget. So um, I had a really really interesting uh, experience at 
the GP Kyoto. Um, so one, once you reach top eight, you can look at your opponent deck list, right? At least that was um, the rule back then. I don't know if it has changed. Um, and so I sat down on the quarterfinals and my opponent, um, he gave me his deck list. I gave him mine. And his decklist was all written in Japanese. I couldn't read a thing. And my and I gave my decklist to my opponent. It was all written in English. He couldn't read a thing. And we're <laughs> sitting there. Like, all the other quarterfinal matches have started. It, we were like, yeah, like, what? I, I don't get it. And um, and the judge came over. And he, he tried to kind of, like, translate those um, those names. But and then after, like, a couple of minutes, he was like, yeah, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, I, just why don't you guys exchange your, your actual decks and, you know, just memorize everything? And we did that. Um, so we started, I want to say, 10, if not 15 minutes later. And we finished as the first quarter uh, quarterfinal table. Because, um, yeah, the matchup was kind of lopsided. It was Grixis Delver and me on 1,000 tendrils. It was not even close. Oh, <laughs> this is where the smack comes Okay, 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 okay. I'm, I'm going to stop here. But, you know, I'm, I'm a, yeah. I'm... <laughs> nice. Just... One of the most broken decks in Legacy, uh, easy, easy matchup. I mean, that, that, that's yeah. always the thing, right? Between A&T and Java, there's always this, like, people on both sides think they're favored, but I'm I'm biased to believe more into the Ad Nauseam Storm side of things. I mean, the, the, the matchup is historic at this point. It doesn't really matter, but that's that's one of the biggest stories of, of Legacy uh, combo and Java players not being able to agree on who's favored in the matchup. <laughs> oh, yeah, def- definitely, but, definitely. <laughs> So, so you we already talked about your GP finishes. Um, you also you actually manually added your your runner up finish at the God of Legacy Tokyo tournament. Is that the biggest way to make to build your name in in the Legacy scene in Japan? Is is that like the biggest thing outside of GPs that's going on? Um, not anymore. Um, because they started to do Eternal Weekends also in Japan. Um, they did oh, it true, twice. Yeah. yeah, they did it twice. Um, massive massive events. You know. Uh, Legacy, at least like 600, if not more, players. Vintage with 150 players. I've never seen 150 players ha- um, with the full set of marks in, um, in in this one playing area. You know, like it, it's so much money. Anyway, um, so you have Eternal Weekend, and then you have um, also some other events, but the God of Legacy is a specific tournament in Hadeduya, so it's 300 player max. So it can't, yeah, so it's, and it's usually capped, so... We have 300 um, legacy players um, battling for, you know, um, for, for the trophy, basically. And you have that in all formats. You, so you have a God of Modern 2, you have a God of Standard, you have a God of Limited, and a God of Vintage. Um, and I think Vintage is the only format where it doesn't cap, obviously, because you don't have 300 players. But it gets kind of close. So, and, so often does this, this big event happen? Yeah, so it, uh, it happens uh, once, every qu- um, once every quarter. So you have it once in spring, summer, and uh, autumn and winter. And um, you also have trials. Or at least there used to be trials, because I don't think there are trials anymore. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's massive, really. It's, it's usually about like nine rounds, if not more. Uh, we cut to top eight. Um, almost like a GP, it has full written coverage. It has video coverage. It has uh, player profiles and uh, deck lists. And yeah. It's a it's a it's a delight really, and it's also twenty five minutes from from my apartment. So, <laughs> <laughs> like like almost anything in Tokyo, I guess. So 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 why did you not ascend to divinity? Why did you only get second place? You're not a god of legacy now, right? So yeah, I got no, the wrong I'm, guy I'm, on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 only the the semi god maybe. Oh no, I I'm probably like the yeah the, the dumb little. Well, you played against Grixis Delver in the final. 
<laughs> it was blue I red delver. Uh, it was blue red. It was blue red delver. And if I didn't look at even the need the couple therapy. It do. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look too far off um, the list um, popular in 2020. Seriously. So really? the the deck I faced in the finals, he already had the full um, set of Dreadhought Arcanist, uh, Delver, and Young Pyromancer. And the interesting part of, of that final match is that um, in both sideboard games, I lost, but not not because I couldn't combo off. I lost because I underestimated Dreadhought Arcanist and how fast it can <laughs> be with Lightning Bolts, especially paired with Young Pyromancers. So I thought I thought in both sideboard games that I have two more turns in fact i had zero mm. so I, I was just dead you know because if, if you go like end of turn like lightning bolt you twice and you have to dreadhawk arcane is out there and young pyromancer have one token you, you you can simply die from 15 life no problem absolutely yeah that card is quite good <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we talked about it on one of our most recent episodes where how it actually came out in 2018 or 19 i don't even know and it was overshadowed for quite a while by you know ren and six and then we got underworld breach and everything and only once we got rid of all of that it started really showing how powerful dreaded arcanist actually is and I, I guess your opponent was already ahead of the curve so that's props to him um even though I, i'd love to to see you ascend to to divinity at some point <laughs> but yeah. I'm uh, sure it'll happen something... now with uh, this this Doomsday card. Uh, you've been playing that quite a lot. Oh, dude, you've been crushing with Doomsday, right? Uh, this you send us one of our lists. Um, let's actually talk about that in a little bit. But before we move on, I have one more question because that's something that's actually really interesting to me. Have you ever played Legacy outside of Tokyo, uh, like in the north, like Hokkaido, or I don't know, or Fukuoka, or Osaka, in, um, in, the, in the west, or is it is everything yeah. so big in Tokyo that you don't even need to travel anywhere? Tokyo is Tokyo. You know, Tokyo is just absurd at what they're capable of. Um, last summer, I went for the first time. I went to Fukuoka. That's where my girlfriend is from, and we made a little trip there. And I also googled that they also got a Haruhiya in Fukuoka. It's obviously not as big as um, the tournament center, but they got you know like fifty seats or sixty maybe. And I and I was I was really um, thinking about taking my legacy deck there. Ultimately, I decided to take my modern deck because I thought in my back head, I was like, oh, there's no way it's, it's, um, Legacy is going to fire in, in Fukuoka. Uh, well, I was wrong. So um, so I ended up there being there with a modern, with a crappy modern deck. It was Blue Red Storm. It is completely out of date because um, I really don't care about modern all that much. And I was there and I saw all these Legacy players, obviously with um, a lot of wacky, wonky text uh like cards i've never seen like like far beyond that drop and um <laughs> it was it was a, it was a delight to watch and uh yeah i felt kind of like okay well you know i should have brought my, my actual legacy deck mm-hmm. um but i think the scene um the scene is not as big as in tokyo um but still big enough i think awesome so you you could actually do like a trip travel all around japan and and, and play legacy in every bigger city <laughs> oh definitely definitely um and so the thing is that I don't, I haven't really been to many other cities outside of Tokyo, and here's why. Um, but when I was working at Tokyo MTG, I only had this much um, holidays per per year, and it's really not that many days. I, I think in the first year I only had ten days or so the whole year. It's it's ridiculous, right? Yeah. So yeah. I had to I had to squeeze everything together uh, for a trip to Germany to visit my parents. So because of that, I didn't have any days left to make a, a trip to other cities. I've never been to Osaka, for example. It's crazy to say that, but really? I've never been. Yeah, I've never been to Osaka. I've never I've been heard to so many Hokkaido. good things about it. 
Yeah, so I think most people, like for example, Claudio Bonani, for example, and, and some others, they, they might, yeah, they definitely know more of Japan than, than I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you still have a lot to see, but uh, what, what are your plans for, for I was going to say the upcoming year, but we're already in 2021. Are you... We, we talked a little bit about that you're playing Doomsday now, and dude, you sent me a list that made me question my existence because you sent me a Doomsday list that had like Dreadhought Arc Iconist, it had like Uro and Oko. I don't even remember. You, you basically you, you sent me a snow deck that happened to splash Doomsday almost. Is that what you're gonna be playing going forward here? Yeah, uh, <laughs> so I, I started to play Magic Online uh, in 2020, uh, very recently. I think it was uh, right when before Lurus came out. Um, so yeah, so, so I bought into Magic Online and Lurus happened. I was like, oh, what the what the hell? You know, it was is that what I signed up for? Um, and yeah, um, I've been I've been playing a, ever since uh, Martin Nielsen, like Neville Shoot, um, talked me, told me how ridiculous um Thassa's Oracle is. I was all about it, and um, I I got a little tired of um losing to Veil of Summer when I played the Thousand Tendrils. I think everyone can definitely get that. Um, and I was like, oh, this Thassa's Oracle, especially in combination with Cavern of Souls, is a ridiculous win condition. It's so hard to interact. Um, and it, the, the combo is so compact and only um, occupies so few slots that it leaves a lot of room um, to breathe and have some a lot of different ways to um, approach this deck, right? And in the beginning, I was um, all about the, the pure combo, you know, pushing it to the max. Um, making it as fast and as yeah as, as combo-ish as possible. And these days, I'm kind of ex- doing exactly the opposite because um, I, I feel like so many cards in Legacy are broken. <laughs> I, I feel like five years ago, not you, you could only name a few really broken cards in Magic. Um, and I kind of like Past and Flames as one, Natural Order is another one, and Jason Mind Sculptor. Yeah, you get the idea. Um, yeah. But these days, so many of the cards are must Force of Will cards, such as Red Hot Arcanist, for example, Uro Oko, obviously, and some others too, that um, you really, like, there's no reason to not play those cards, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I mean, I've seen Uro Oko um, also sp- um, splashed in Elves, for example. There's, it, this is yeah. no joke, really. Dude, uh, my, my, my least proudest memory was when I played Oko and Elves, and I stole a Red Hot Arcanist with it, and I used it to flashback a glimpse of my chest. Oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> What do you mean, like, no point? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. It does get old after a while. So did you then, like, after that league, put a tiger in your deck and put some arcanists in your deck? Dude, uh, don't give me ideas because that's... Like, I'm I'm still thinking about maybe I'm going to recreate, like, blue elves and and get some, some fossil fills and stuff in there and, and just, like, fully commit to the mid-range plan. And you can flash I back green thinking... zenith after it gets countered for dry oh, yeah, just get another dry double. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet game. But but no, seriously, Kai, is, 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 um, we're going to link the deck in the show notes. Is, is that yeah. something that you think makes sense right now? Or are you looking to to maybe recreate something entirely different? Um, I mean, I've been working on the deck for quite a while now, and it's very, very possible that it will change um, depending on what the um, the meta looks like. But um, I've been very, very happy with um, this um, particular approach because... Yeah, Doomsday is specifically weak to any kind of like blue-red Delver, blue-red X Delver, and um, fast clock, lightning bolts, wastelands, and counters. You know, it's it ha- they have them all. So um, what this new version does is that all the bad cards, such as like Doomsday and Thassa's Oracle, um, they can be replaced 
by the more powerful cards against Delver, which are like Uro, Abrupt Decay, Baleful Strix, stuff like that. And um, I think it gives it a very, very smooth um, transition into a, the, um, another archetype, which is very, very potent against um, our worst matchup. So I think it makes a lot of sense. So, so you're actually telling me you're sideboarding into Snowco, like after after game one? So if I if I would say yes, then it would probably mean that my win percentage would drop in the next couple of days. So <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna comment on this, but uh, yeah. <laughs> is is that a big maybe? Definitely maybe. Isn't that the, the Oasis album? Dude, I love Oasis. <laughs> 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 anyway anyway so yeah we're, we're gonna see but if, if you want and if you want to give us a link the, uh, the deck list then we're gonna link that in the show notes to this podcast yeah. on, on also w- also one thing one thing is um if you ever if you ever had the experience to draw into your doomsday pile with an uro attack then you made it then you absolutely <laughs> made it there's no better experience in legacy than drawing with your uro attack into your first card of the pile it's a oh god, this is disgusting. This is absolutely disgusting. Zenza's divine in cup is back <laughs> and it gains you three life on attack. But then, but then <laughs> what you're drawing off the Uro is like a lightning bolt to kill them after you hit them for six. Oh my god. It's probably like the second Uro to then, you know, because Uro's a cantrip, right? You just, you just, you know, Uro yeah, yeah, into yeah. Uro into Thassa's Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Arcanist to then flashback a brainstorm after you doomsday. Oh god. My god. It's like maybe, drawing maybe cards we should just like send this part of the episode to Wizards of the Coast to see what they're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe somebody's got to move to Seattle and crush them a couple of times in tournaments because I, I hear Wizards and players, they can actually like play in local tournaments now that are no longer banned from, from any kind of play. I think they only can't play in like, I don't know, big events, but that, that's not too many of those happening online right now. Um, actually, what is it like in, in, in Tokyo right now? Is everything on lockdown or uh, how does it work over there? How, how is the situation? Yeah, so... um. Uh, in December, uh, they did um, Visit of the Coast in Japan. They decided to lock down um, all the stores, so no um, no events are allowed until I think the um, the middle of February, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the stores are still open, so you can still you know buy cards or play casually, but uh, there won't be any events. And uh, let's see from there. Yeah. Okay, okay. So actually, that's interesting. I didn't even know that, that Wizards can basically tell you you can't run magic events, but of course they can't stop you from opening. But they, I guess, yeah, they can tell you well, if, you're, if you're going to run magic events, then we're going to withdraw whatever star level you have with us. So that makes, I guess that makes sense. So that they can, they can exercise influence over that. Awesome. Okay, so why don't we move on and look into a couple of listener questions. We actually received quite a lot from, from a couple of people on our Discord here. And the very first one, uh, I really don't know what to make of that. Um, you guys actually tried to explain to me what this is, but I already forgot again. <laughs> the Hackbird asks, what is the best Dark Ritual deck? And why is it Bizarro Stormy? So if you had told me what is Bizarro Stormy? I would have thought like maybe it's like an American wrestler or a porn star. <laughs> what is Bizarro Stormy? Like Bizarro Stormy Daniels. Yeah, yeah, I would say porn star. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know what Bizarro Stormy is. It's, it, it, it's a Tinfin's variant with uh, Magus of the Mind, which you shallow grave Magus of the Mind and then do crazy things with that. Wait, sh- okay. <laughs> I mean, you, I must know what, what... you must know what Magus of the Mind does. Is it Mind's Desire or what does yeah, it do? Yeah, it's a Mind's Desire, which like you have to pay a blue, tap it and sack it to Mind's Desire. Oh, that's okay. actually pretty cheap. So you shallow grave that and then you get to Mind's Desire. 
Yeah, Cal, why, why, why don't we do this together? So I'm, so I'm telling you that Dark Ritual is a busted magic card, and you do all the rest. Okay, so you cast our Ritual, then you cast Entomb, you get Magus of the Mind. Well, the deck has Grizzlebrand as well, so you're just like, why would, why would I get Magus of the Mind? <laughs> I just... <laughs> so I guess you get Grizzlebrand first, um, and then you keep doing things, and then you Magus of the Mind. Um, so this is just like a flashy finish. This is like you're a wrestler yeah. and you have to come up with a finishing move so that they will feature you on TV and stuff. That's actually the best way of putting it because there's so many different variants of tin fins and they all have ridiculous names, which is part of the allure of the deck, in my opinion. I love their yeah. naming conventions and how ridiculous it all is. And, Ice Station uh, Zebra. <laughs> Ice Station Zebra, exactly. And it's all from cartoons and stuff. I'm not going to tell you where Bizarro Storm is from because I can't remember, but they do have, like, in their Discord, they have sections of it dedicated to all the people asking what the name fucking means that there's a dedicated <laughs> bizarro stormy discord and you are part of that dude you of course I, I, from this point on i'm gonna believe you are literally part of every single discord well, in the world. i i have a a really really deep love for tin fins i've it's one of like especially at my local game store i used to play it quite a lot for years i always hated reanimator i was too bad at playing storm so I played Tinfins. <laughs> this is like if, if, oh, if Tinfins ever gets a dedicated website, you know, like the Epic Storm and stuff, this is going to be the testimony the that we're going to put in there. <laughs> I <laughs> I always hated playing Ritual. I was too bad for Storm. Or That's like, why I picked up Tinfins. I'm too good, too good for Animator, too bad for Storm. That's why I play Tin Fins. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So that's I, why I it's we... the best art Ritual deck. Um, we're, we're gonna so, uh, the, yeah, the best art Ritual deck, I... I know that uh, people like oh, Brian I totally Cook... forgot we actually had a real question in there. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that people like Brian Cook, they, they're probably going to crucify me after saying that, but I do think that the best Dark Ritual deck is currently not a Storm deck, it's Doomsday. I I am pretty positive on that. He, yeah. he actually messaged me a couple of weeks ago saying he got some Doomsday cards recently. So. Oh, really? Not, oh, good not, job, Brian. Not yeah. that he's off TES, but uh, yeah, yeah. He, he knows it's good. So I guess if you if you get like Ride of Flames and you mana morphs into black mana, that that does attack there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cer- certainly, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, the Epic Storm is definitely the best Epic Storm deck. I was gonna, gonna say. <laughs> you, know, you know, okay. Here, here's an idea. Turn one, Ride of Flame, Dreadhought Harkonnest. Turn two, attack, flashback, Ride of Flame, and and then you have mana in your attack phase. Okay, that, that, yeah. I guess you can mana morphose, yeah, and then double du- lightning bolt. Yeah, Julian, I, I you're, you're really selling it, yeah, Julian. Julian, nice. stop. <laughs> I just want a flashback, Ride of Flame. That sounds so sweet. There, Actually, there, it's really bad for future ones. Well, you could play like Black Red Phoenix with uh, Arcanist and Ride of Flame, and Burning Wish for Buried Alive and stuff. I'll build you this deck. Oh god, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So moving on, we have a question from Fire Ballad. Fire is asking, love Japan a lot. Tell us a great Japanese dish, Japanese place, and manga we probably never heard about outside of Japan. So Kai, I I, I don't know if you're into mangas, but I, I, you probably are into food and yeah, okay, well pl- <laughs> places. Yeah, that, that <laughs> goes places, yeah. Oh. Dude, I'm all about those places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that, um, let's start off with that. What's your favorite place in, in Japan? Like, it doesn't even have to be magic related. Yeah, um, thanks for the question. Um, I, I'm i a big fan of the whole um, Yokohama area. It's um, it's um, the whole Marine Bay area, a little bit in the south. It's beautiful. It's, it's mostly for, like, you know, dates, having a good day. Um, or, like, just generally having a good day out. Um, sometimes they even have um, bigger 
tournament uh, magic tournaments in that area which means that even if you drop out like 03 you su- you can still have a good day because they also have a, a theme park with roller coasters there and and all sorts of entertainment so that's uh yokohama is definitely a, an area i would i would say that's light pause before entertainment that makes me suspicious <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of entertainment oh that's, <laughs> that's true guess- yeah that's no, the no, shot where people cast dead drop Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, uh, awesome. I, awesome, awesome, man. So we, we got that. So h- how about dishes? Like w- what are typically Japanese dishes that you've grown to enjoy a lot? Yeah, um so I mean everyone knows about sushi, uh would question that. Um but the place um the there's not a specific dish I really like because every everything tastes so good here. Um but uh, a good recommendation is to to check out those izakayas. So izakaya is a thing in Japan. I, I don't think it, it exists in, in Europe because it's a hybrid between restaurant and bar. Um, so most people who um, f- who finish their work, they want to go to those izakayas where they can either, you know, drink all you can drink for two hours, for example, but also have a few like s- half snack, half meals in front of them. But they all sit on the, in the middle of the table. So it's not like I have my big dish, you have your big dish and let, let's talk or let's eat. It's more about like, you know, let's have some drinks, let's talk. And while we're talking and drinking, you also have a little bit of like side dishes on the middle of the table. And you can take whatever you want. Um, that's what a izakaya is. It's pretty awesome. Um, I go there all the time. Um, it's especially good after a magic tournament, for example. And all, also very good in, good in big groups because um, you, you can order a variety of food and you're definitely going to like some of them. And um, there's, yeah, there's something for everyone. So izakaya is definitely... Uh, what I recommend, and you can find them anywhere. That sounds great. That sounds great. And is there also some kind of food um, that you wouldn't recommend? Uh, we in the pre-show we actually we talked a little bit about certain foods that you want me to try because they are so bad. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean I like it, but uh, it's um, so one uh, thing. It's called natto. It's n n a t t o. It's um, I'm actually gonna it, Google that right now. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't even know how to say it in, in English. It's f- fermented bones, uh, um, uh, beans. Like, it it looks kind of gross. Uh, it's it's beans, but um, yeah, it's it's kind of hard to describe. It's it looks very gross. It. I'm looking at it right now, and I think Callum would be all over that because this is what they eat in uh, in Britain for breakfast. Allegedly. Oh God! I, I've been to like <laughs> British places when when I was there for like trade fairs, and they gave me yeah. exactly that. And it's not, yeah, I've, I've, I don't know what to make of this. How, how do you spell it again? Let me look it up. It's 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 N A T T O. Not All right. But at least they oh, eat this, it on rice. This I, I is can, nothing like, like English make food. Make my piece this of is, rice. This looks nothing like English food. This is so much better. Come on! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Come on! Oh god! Don't be so rude to Nato. <laughs> are, you, are you telling me also you you don't like English breakfast? I like English breakfast. Yes, it tastes nice. Um, English food is not the best, to put it politely. Um, have you ever heard of a Wigan kebab? No. Okay. Is that is that like a donut kebab? It's um, it's 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 a video. It's a bit of a meme, and it's just the worst food <laughs> it's you not can good imagine. When your food is a meme. Oh, <laughs> uh, I need I need to send you the video. To, we'll link it in the show notes. Um, this is a great example of British food and English people. I shouldn't actually say British, it's English. We're just the worst. 
Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> okay, I, I I like kebabs, but you make it sound like it's something I probably don't want to taste. Like to to me, this far the worst I've ever seen was was pre-packed haggis in Scotland. It was called haggis in a hurry. Uh, so oh. if you're like in a hurry, you just grab haggis from from the store and you you eat it while walking. I don't know somewhere. It, it, it was like pretty disgusting. A Wigan kebab is a buttered balm cake, so just like a, a really just a white roll. With a meat mm-hmm. and potato pie in the middle. That's it. Yeah. Plain. Oh, oh, dude, I forgot. I forgot yeah. that you guys do that thing in, in England <laughs> where you put like meat inside of pies and stuff. Like, what the fuck is just, wrong? With just, you just guys, Google, just Google wigan kebab right now. I, I, I don't even know if I should, but I'm actually gonna do that. They're probably gonna lose a ton of subscribers. They can just search wigan kebab. Oh my god, this is disgusting. This looks like a mushroom growing inside of a kebab. Yes. Yes, that's the best way to put it. Okay. Oh my fucking god. Oh, and here the. Oh, no, there's no way that this is a thing. Oh my god, this is serious. This is like a fucking giant mushroom inside of a kebab, and like there's not even sauce or, or vegetables or anything. Yeah, and then you you eat this with a uh, portion of like really shit chips with like so much gravy on. It's just a bucket of gravy with some chips inside. So I guess so. So you don't have to like taste the vegan kebab. Maybe we're gonna have an episode of on, on English food in, in the yeah. near future. But this is oh. this is too much for me right now. Yeah, uh, I'm still subscribed to the Church of the Holy Duna kebab. <laughs> that's, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's my thing. Yeah. Okay, so Calm, you, you um you probably cook a lot, right? Like if if there's only this much food outside, then I don't cook as much as I should. I, I'm vegetarian as well, so. I... I don't go near these kind of things. Oh, but, uh, okay. You got a good excuse to not eat those yes. ridiculous dishes. Okay, yeah, I like that. I, I okay. ate meat Maybe until I tried one of the, until I had a wigan kebab. Then I turned vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Now, now that you say that, I think I might also be vegetarian. I just turned vegetarian j- just right now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Okay, so that's that's our part about the dishes. Um, uh, do you read mangas? Is there like a manga that we might not have heard about that you enjoy? Man, I as much as I like to, I I don't have any recommendations for manga. I, the last manga I read was uh, One Piece, and I was twelve years old. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So moving on, SC Tilly or Skitilly uh, has a question about the best shop for legacy in Japan. I think we already yeah. covered a lot of the different shops. Um, yep. Calm, you want to say something? <laughs> well, based on what we've been talking about, I would. I would like to go to all of them, honestly, because as you as you've described them, I mean, Haruya sounds incredible. I mean, just like mind-blowingly good. I, I knew that Legacy was obviously very popular in Japan, but until talking to you, I didn't realize to the extent like this is more than twice as like uh, as much as I expected, and it's just amazing to hear. And I think it goes to show just how much is being played there and how much influence we could try and take it from it from like in america and europe and any other place in the, in the world so we should pay more attention to the results coming out of there and yeah. um yeah i would just go to all of them if i could go we should, <laughs> we should go and do like a um you know how they do beer runs we need to go to every pub in an area we should do like a magic oh, like shop a pub run. Oh, hell yeah exactly yeah, like, yeah. Like one you play one round per store you don't have like a 10 run tournament at the end <laughs> yeah, yeah and you have to run between oh, each one dude I, I have so many great ideas for that uh, oh dude we really got to do that once okay. it becomes possible or we, again. Or we could do like and one I, shop every day of a week <laughs> that sounds yeah. amazing i i actually have one more question um legacy brew up kind of like it became a really massive thing and in, in the west once star city games started streaming is there also like 
lots of streaming, like Japanese streaming. I've seen some Japanese streamers uh, get on Twitch lately. Is there is that like the place where everybody in Japan streams? Because I, I, I know that, for example, in China, there's like a dedicated Chinese streaming platform, so they don't really use Twitch all that much. Oh, interesting. Okay, I, d- I didn't know about that. But um, yes, yeah, so some people do do stream. Um, but I've, I've, I've really... I think the, the old Star City Games um, videos, I think they really, like, pushed legacy so much and I, I think they're probably also part of the reason why i've been i've been liking Leg- legacy um for such a long time um there is no store um or no like service community um for for streaming specifically in japan but some people do it for fun yeah okay but they do it on twitch so it's, it's not like we're missing out on something that's happening on oh, a to- totally different platform yeah so, so there is another platform it's called um I think it's called Nico Nico. It's as N N N N N I C O N I C O. Yeah, Nico Nico also means to smile, like you know, like like a smiley channel yeah. kind of thing. Um, I think they use it for GPs and previous. Yeah, I pirate um, I pirate restreamed their Japanese coverage for the GP where you made top four, and I, I kept ah. it running like for twelve hours or something. At some point, I, I fell asleep in front of my computer, and then mm-hmm. our friend Mark Fork, he actually called me on the phone. He's like, "Dude, this, the, the top eight is starting. We gotta start commentating." And and I was like so tired, but then Mark and I just started commentating. So we we didn't know the name of the players, so we could just called them. I don't even know. We made up names for them, and and yeah, we we basically pirate streamed that to Twitch, and that that was one of my most viewed videos. And it's still on YouTube, and I I sometimes get like comments on like Japanese comments and when they auto translate them they they complain that like everything is wrong and we are saying the wrong things. <laughs> that yeah. Okay, you, you just reminded me of that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool. So another question. Um that this is actually the most sophisticated question that we've received. Uh yeah, I will just read it out. It's from our friend Martin Nielsen from Denmark, never shoot. Question for Kai. How would he recommend one best goes about keeping it sleazy? How do you keep it sleazy? How, how does that oh. work? I, I have no idea what he means. Hi, hi, Martin. How are you? How how are you? How, how's your fam? How how are your kids? <laughs> oh, dude, this this is a remote question. We are not talking to him right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the internet, kind of, my friend. Dude, no, I'm like so. Mar- yeah, Martin is a very very good friend. If he is probably the person I talked to the most about magic in 2020 by a mile, because um, he and I we've we have all been um about uh, Tess Oracle. So, yeah, and um, see, so Martin is a very cool guy and he has a lot of cool input and ideas and stuff. And so, But sometimes he also kind of start, um, starts a conversation and be like, yeah, Kai, I don't know. I, I feel like the deck's not performing well. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Like, w- what do you think? Like, stuff like that. And I, I usually respond with, yeah, you know, just, just keep the ball rolling. So keeping it sleazy is just, you know... Just an odd way to say, uh, keep it trying, keep it going, keep it, yeah, like the, the flow, you know. And obviously, yeah. there are games where um, when you lose, so just you know, um, yeah, just don't let the deck or the format or anything um, shrink your motivation it for. Down. Yeah, definitely. So that's yeah, that's when I usually say keep it easy. It also means um, during big tournaments such as like um, showcase challenges. I, what I usually do is I also do like push-ups or I run um, around the, the, uh, the house once or I get some coffee outside. Um, do Just do things um, to kind of like reset your mode um, before each round. So I think, I think all of yeah. the Snowcore players should take notice because you can do so many amazing things with your time if your rounds don't go to time every single round. 
that's just listen to Kahai and and don't play Snoko anymore. Okay, can, can we agree <laughs> on that? Thank you. <laughs> Wait, is, is he saying don't play Snow? I think he's just saying play Snow in the sideboard. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe I should really make an app stack that literally plays snow on the sideboard as well. Maybe we should just all do that. Every, like after sideboarding, if you can't beat them, join them. We're just like Snowco for game two and three. I don't even care. I've, I've lost any trust in anything else. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds amazing. <laughs> One more question, this time again from Fire Ballad. How do you feel about playing standard basics uh, being a disadvantage now? How should a hate card for snow look like? So uh, that, that's been a thing for quite a while, I think, ever since we basically got Astrolabe. And everybody switched to, to playing those basic lands. Because even if you don't, you might as well do it. Because if you're playing, like, say your opponent goes turn one, basic island, ponder. What do you put him on? You already put him on any kind of combo deck, right? That, that, that's like the very first thing I would do. No, I can no, barely no. imagine. You're already what? wrong. It's not any combo deck. It's sneak and show. It's Nick and Show only. 110%. <laughs> Dude, you need to, you must have learned by now Magic Online. If Sneak and Show players haven't adapted to Snow Basics, it's just when they play Basic Island, Non-Snow, Ponder, or Preordain, it's it's Sneak and Show. It just is oh, you, every you, time. You're saying like they're, they're ignoring all their surroundings. All they do is like ape, ape, ape. And it's like, oh, he has I, turned I, to Grizzlebrand. I didn't say ape, it. but they do say fucking Grizzlebrand. Yes. think it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, yeah, it, you got no time to <laughs> pretend you're a different deck when you're just grizzly branding people. Right, Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> yeah, like, the cards no combat island it doesn't exist for uh, for sneak control players, <laughs> or yeah. they just or they don't uh, they don't care, or it just they are not aware of the cards no combat island. That's also very possible because yeah. their minds are obsessed with um, grizzly brands. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think this is the high level analysis of <laughs> that we can can settle on. Um, I think that the more interesting question. I mean, everybody dislikes that, and right, and we, we're hoping that Wizards prints some kind of fate in in the future because thus far from what they've spoiled, there's not really anything I see that might really change this. Because from what they've done, they they printed this card that we're going to talk about in the next episode because we're going to do the entire Kaltheim review spoiler in in the next episode. They printed this thing that makes your snow-covered things come into play tapped, if I remember correctly. And I think that's not good enough to discourage people from playing snow, because the way I see it, you don't print some super strong hate for snow, because that's always going to be a niche card, and maybe people are going to have it on the sideboard, maybe they're not. It's it's not present enough in the general meta game to really make a difference, because pretending that your snow, especially if you're a combo deck, has quite the upside. And I think the way they should do it is to just have a normal playable card, probably even main deck in, in most, like playable in most decks. And then it has some splash damage on snow, I want to say. You know, they, they have a card and then it does a little bit against snow. And the, the key to, to discouraging people or giving people an excuse not to play those snow basics is to just have a card that's very present, but the downside the way it hits you doesn't need to be big so from what wizards printed they printed something that has like a really hard hit on snow but it's not going to be very common i think they should print something that's very widely playable and has a minor effect on snow and that's definitely going to be good enough to to already discourage people from playing snow covered basics and non-snow decks that's how i see it what do you think about it guys i agree with that but i think they can take it further i think i agree that they like a really hard-hitting thing like people people have suggested like a two mana stone rain for snow basics or like a snow choke whatever 
it's not yeah as you say like the deck isn't played enough or it's played a lot now but they will just adapt to it they will play removal spells or counter spells for it i think the best way to get around it is like you say play something that is not like a, a sledgehammer something that's a bit more finesse but something that they want to play themselves so if there was a card that has some splash damage on snow which they need to make a decision do we want to play this good card in our mid-range decks or and take some splash damage from other decks playing it and by choosing to play this good card we have to give up on the snow theme whatever that's a much more interesting like take on it mm. and from a design point of view um than the sledgehammers it, this is not easy to do like i have no further ideas than this but i think when you the, the joy of like playing legacy from a couple of years ago was okay i want to play control do you play like blue white miracles or do you play grix's control with him a bit more tap out or like bug whatever there was real decisions based on each different play style and stuff and we've kind of lost that with everything coming together homogenizing together um you could start to move away from that by making real decisions like do i play this card over this and that and stuff again so that could be a, a direction they try and take if they can afford to design like that but um it's a long road and it's not easy, so we have to see. Um, I, I kind of like what uh, what Julian said um, about um, a card which is generally good, but you, you also have some some extra, you know, some some extra punch against uh, snow. Um, and I think in Magic, um, we already had those cards sometimes when when they say like I don't know, um, for example, every player takes two damage, and if your opponent has this and that then he even takes five damage for example stuff like that so um you know if your opponent has uh, um, i mean that, that that in modern there used to be a card right that deals two damage to something but if they have like a blue card or so that then it deals five damage right stuff like that yeah definitely uh, that's possible but um it's also very hard to um it, because if you if you hate too much on snow then um then the already strong rock delver will uh will even get better so it's i th yeah like it's it's kind of weird because legacy is currently the super super potent um delver deck with a strong mid-range plan and then all those like fat stacks you know with uro oko um leo volt and what have you and if you make the one stronger then the other will definitely like jump um further even even much more so. Maybe we just get rid of both. What do you think about yeah. that? <laughs> that actually feed, feeds into into Martin's second question. Um, he's asking. It feels like almost every deck in Legacy is doing busted things on turn two or three. A lot of cards on the two and mana th on the two and three mana curve feel incredibly powerful. Was it always like this, or is this an effect of 2019 and the fire design philosophy? Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but guys, uh, go, go ahead. What, what are your thoughts on this? Is, is that like a new thing that the two and three mana slots are, are what's dominating Legacy? Go for it, Kai. Go ahead, Callum. Oh, yeah. Uh, nice. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Ah, ah, you know, go ahead. I said it first. Go on. <laughs> okay. Um, so I think we can we can all agree that um, there were definitely busted two and three mana things even 10 years ago, I want to say. Um, if I think about cards like Goblin Lackey, for example, um, or Mother of Runes, like Goblin Lackey is from uh, Ursa Saga, and he is a must-answer creature on, on turn one. If you don't have the bolt or the blocker, then you're probably in a lot of trouble. And in trouble, it means um, they're probably going to drop a war chief. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I mean you, you get the idea, right? Um, so I, I think there were only a couple of very problematic uh, creatures or slash planeswalkers um which you have to handle immediately otherwise you, you lose the game and like stoneforge mystic is one of them other if you don't have the bolt 
then the, the battle skull is gonna hit you hard. Um, the same, obviously, for Jace, the Mind Sculptor, probably up to Oko, the, the most powerful uh, magic card, or like one of the most powerful magic cards ever. Um, and it it's it's kind of hard for Visits to keep printing like same level card stuff because um, pe people like to get very hyped about new releases. And um, if you print cards which are obviously worse than um, previous versions of, of very similar cards, then like what's what's the point of um, first buying them and then also playing them, right? Um, so I, it's a it's a it's a lot of unfortunate events, um, but yeah, Dreadnought Arcanist and um, Oko Uro, they definitely definitely feel like incredible powerful plays you can make on turn two and three, and you have more of those um, must kill answers and uh, must kill cards in two thousand twenty. Yeah, yeah what do you guys think? Um, I think part yeah part of it is the cards are obviously just getting way better. Um, it's it's pretty clear in the last couple of years, we've had a slew of like not just like good in legacy but actually defining cards i mean we're, the the conversations right now are centering around dreaded arcanist uro and oko and astrolabe but i mean let's not forget about like even narset is barely being played but is was in some conversations as khan uh, there's teferi as well sometimes coming out veil of summer i mean there's just so many strong cards i'm probably forgetting about some really obvious ones we've also had like a bunch of bands it's it's been a pretty crazy two years um part of the general direction has been so many cards either like give you velocity or like especially just drawing a card or like arcanist flashing back cantrips um we've moved away from a, de a, a format where you can use your life title as a resource like when you were describing these good cards as stoneforge mystic which is just putting in equipment as beating with creatures or tarmogoyf Tombstalker back in the day like uh, these cards were like attacking you and not just pulling your head on cards these days tempo is defined by like cards and pulling ahead by advantages other than like your life total arcanist is just hitting for you for one but when you take one once from it you already feel behind when it's flashing back a ponder and so this immediacy of these of these cards needing an answer straight away is what really defines the push and power level in my opinion so Let's bring back life turtles as a resource, okay? <laughs> Caleb, you know, um, I got an interesting question for you, um, mm -hmm. for both of you guys. And um, what did you guys think about Dark Confidant when it came out? Do you guys remember? I do. That was two thousand five, right? Two thousand five, two thousand six, Ravnica. Um, I was too young uh, to realize its power, so I was just like, I have no idea why people are buying it for so much money, but I'm going to sell my pre-release ones for cranial extractions <laughs> okay so I, I had just gotten into into competitive magic back then and i i was incredibly scared of the card because i knew when it wasn't play i had to kill it as soon as possible i like my entire mind was obsessed with that confident i gotta get rid of that gotta get rid of that it's funny you mentioned the card because that's like one of the very first cards in competitive magic where i was obsessed with killing it because it's one of the scariest thing i could ever face True, right, yeah. Like, any, um, and I think there were um, only a handful of creatures which generate card advantage, the other one being uh, the John, John Finkel card, the uh, the Shadow Infiltrator. Shadow Mage Infiltrator. Yeah, Shadow Mage Infiltrator. Like, that's also, like, you, you gotta kill it now or otherwise it's gonna get out of control kind of card. So it's not like Dreadnought Arcanist and Uro are, like, some, some new wild nonsense ideas um, because you already had those card-generating creatures, like, way back then. And I, I was just curious what people thought about Dark Confident when it came out because like the the the, the power toughness two one it didn't matter at all it could you can just keep it there it doesn't even have to attack just keep it you know like Phyrexian regioning 
Phyrexian Are yeah, whatever arena. what it's called. <laughs> yeah. Arena, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah I totally. think the, the biggest difference is that um back then the format was a lot slower and you I think you you could build your deck in ways to to basically now we need a lot of early defenses and Dreaded Arcanist and Diver, like all these cards are, are a reason for that, why we have to focus so much on the early drops. And I think Legacy basically has always been dominated by two and three drops. I mean, we used to have this rule that if a card costs four, it's really got to win you in a game, you know, like Natural Order, Chase the Mindscalpter, Allure, and that kind of thing. That used to be like a hard, near hard rule of Legacy. And now I think that four is almost shifted down to three with uh, Oko, for example, but even in a way also almost to, to two with Dreaded Arcanist, because the big difference is Dreaded Arcanist not only allows you to get the card advantage, it also gives you the extra velocity, or let's call it tempo, of not having to pay for the card, and you basically kind of get to tutor. So with Dreaded Arcanist, you're always, almost always hitting in the early game, and you get a tempo boost. And those are two things that Dark Confident doesn't really do for you. Like Dark Confident needs to survive for two turns to even give you card advantage if you don't count the body of the creature, which often isn't really counted unless you're... I guess if you played in Storm, right, then it reduced the Storm count by attacking, but that's a different <laughs> thing. And mm-hmm. I think that's the, the big thing about Dreaded Arcanist and why it changed so much that... That's, like Callum said, we, we're not really using our life total as a resource anymore against these kinds of decks mm-hmm. like we used to because as, like our life total... Is secondary the first thing is the strategic pressure of drawing extra cards and long before your life total ever becomes like really relevant um i, I guess unless you're up against blue red ever you you're already so far behind on cards and that's that's a new thing for a two drop and that's that's just the scary part of it and that's why i think a lot of people i i, I would guess um astrolab used to be the most hated card i think dread or darkness is probably on average the most hated card in legacy right now and I think that's what's going on, that the two and three drops are more powerful than they used to be. Because, like in the past, we had Rock Swarmonk, we had Knight of the Early Like those were respectable legacy cards. And <laughs> the power level has shifted up quite a bit with regards to that. The Pancake Flipper, make it great again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty much. The, the other so, yeah, difference, I, this... I guess, is like Dark Confident, just to harken back to it, like it does get um, compared quite a lot, but Judge of Darkness doesn't really have even much uh, deck building restrictions like dark confident you feel bad if you play it with force of wills and stuff this is why arcanist is just you are it asks you to play some cantrips oh dear poor you <laughs> so yeah yeah i guess that's a good point right so technically it also has deck building restrictions it just happens that it, those it's restrictions are already imposed by legacy itself anyway yeah yeah totally so yeah though that's that's where we stand on that but i'm I'm quite confident, um, comic trace, but I'm quite quite confident that we're gonna see something. Okay, I'm just gonna say that, that the results is gonna ban something. I'm gonna say the bad B word, <laughs> and and I we, think we, will, we well. will see about that. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of call for it as well. And if you look at tournament results, but yeah, um, those are our listener questions for now. Now I actually have one last question that I want to ask Kai, and it might sound really stupid, but I've yeah I've read so much about Japan and and seen so much about Japan. Kai, do you have like what they call a Hanko stamp? Is that really a thing? I've seen that in videos. Uh, yeah, I do have one. <laughs> so Hanko, <laughs> it's like the. It's 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 called Hanko, and um, so you don't you don't sign things in Japan, but you have this uh, stamp which are uh, with your name on it, and um, whenever that you have to sign something, you you stamp on it, which is ridiculous because anyone with my stamp can basically sign, right? Um, yeah, couldn't anybody else just like randomly buy the the same kind of stamp in a store, or, or has it to be like certified through the government or something? Um, so 
Yeah, um, so the most common names, such as like Suzuki, Sato, Watanabe, you know, like these, um, these noble, like um, popular Japanese names, um, you can buy those hankos everywhere. But um, they all look a little different. So some of them are like slightly bigger or have some like bolder text, for example, like, you know, the, um, and it, you, ha you have to register one of your hankos to, for example, if I make a bank account, I, I register one hanko, a hanko, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm messing it up too. Um, and then you can, you're only allowed to use the same hanko after again. So you can't switch. What if but you lose it? If you lose it, then you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it like it says on, on on the bank website if you read the terms of services hanko stamp yeah, in case sorry, of loss yeah. you Money's are gone. fucked <laughs> <laughs> gone. the bank gets to keep it easy game <laughs> we should open a bank in japan dude this is easy <laughs> we just like hunt people down and steal their hanko stamps and that way you basically get all the money <laughs> awesome but, um, awesome so yeah but it, it, it's a weird um tradition in japan i i don't know why why um they're still doing it but yeah but you don't need one as a tourist right no you don't you know only if you want to sign sign contracts um you know i just want to break contracts yeah. okay cool yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome so kai thank you so so much for coming on the show tonight we learned a lot about legacy not only about legacy but also mostly legacy in japan lots of cultural things uh it still blows my mind how many tournaments you guys get over there. That, that's just something that, that's crazy to me. How can people actually find you if they want to reach out to you, if, if they want to get in contact with you, if, if they ever were to come to Japan or, or talk more about their Doomsday Snowco hybrid lists? Yeah, so um, so I'm on Twitter. It's at Kai Sawatari. Um, I'm Sawatari. I'm Sawatarix on um, Magic Online. Um, also active on the Discord channel uh, for Doomsday. And also my uh, art homepage if people want to see what I'm what I'm up to um, it's solataridoodles.com please check it out appreciate awesome. it awesome there's some really sweet stuff on that website I actually took a look before the podcast there's, there's some really cool stuff great so if if you guys want to support uh, not only Kai because so you can't go to his website and, and buy some of his doodles as he calls them uh, if you want to support everyday channel you can do that in many different ways you can actually there's three different ways <laughs> you, you can leave a review on Apple podcast makes it easier for people to find our podcast helps us get up in the ratings so that, that that's really, really a big thing if you want to do that thank you so much for that uh, you can also support us on our Patreon so you can become a Patreon on different tiers and also make sure that we get to run the show keep the lights on on the this side of the ocean and other than that yeah the biggest thing is just like spread the word let people know about the podcast let people know about legacy in the first place not even like our podcast in particular but also our podcast if you want to but really just like spread the gospel of legacy that's that's the three things that you can do that that would be highly appreciated also, big shout-outs to our Eternal Witness tier patrons, Tommy Hinks, Trent Browse, and Testacula, as well as our top-tier Grizzlebrand supporters, Victor Benatzt, Bachubat, happy birthday, by the way, Scott Monroe, Kulish Aliste, Jeremy Gates, Henrik Korkutz, and Tom Hepp. Thank you so much for keeping us running the show. And I think, guys, that, that's going to be it. Um, I'm going to definitely dream about Tokyo. I'm going to watch a couple more. Tra dude, dude, I, I, I feel so weird, but I've been, I've been really obsessed with Japan lately, like watching all these videos. I, I, I can't lie. <laughs> I, I got to go now because I need to get out. I've got my flight to catch. I'm going over there as soon as possible. Amazing. Oh, do, you, do you have your COVID <laughs> test? <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that stuff. <laughs> all right. I'll be there soon. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, we're, yeah, we're gonna need you for for the Kaltheim review. But I hear they also have internet in Tokyo, so maybe maybe you can I hope so. from there. <laughs> cool, <laughs> awesome. So everybody, thank you. Have a great time, and see you again by uh, probably like the end of the month for our Kaltheim review. Sounds good. Goodbye, everyone. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>